making it in academia, holding the tension between vulnerability and imperviousness. I was reading a piece on Medium last week about the mysteries of packaging and writing academic job applications, especially for scholars from contexts very different from those they are applying into. In amongst all of the very true and useful points in the piece, I was struck by one sentence that has stayed with me. Making yourself vulnerable to critique is a central part of academic life. Vulnerable. That's a scary word for many people, especially if you have had experiences of making yourself so and feeling trampled on by harsh feedback, neglect, or even overt unkindness. Academia is not the same boat for everyone. It may be the same sea, but there are many different boats and also different kinds and sizes of crews that we are sailing with. For some, being vulnerable is much more scary than it is for others, and I think that needs to be recognized and talked about. In many cases, we may feel that we need to be rather impervious, invest our energies in developing that thick skin people are always telling us is vital to survive in an academic career. This has got me thinking about all the ways in which academics are made to be vulnerable or have to make themselves vulnerable and what happens when they do. What do we do about the tensions and contradictions inherent in all these processes and acts that ask us to be vulnerable, but at the same time tell us to pull it together, be tough, be impervious to the feelings of hurt, frustration and sadness that the different forms of feedback can cause? Can we make this act of making ourselves vulnerable less scary for those already in more precarious positions, like early career researchers, casual staff, women, scholars and minority groups on campus? One of the main ways in which we are asked to, or have to make ourselves vulnerable, is through asking for and getting critique, as suggested in the quotation. We write thesis chapters for supervisors and final thesis for examiners. We write papers for journal editors and reviewers. We stand up in front of peers at conferences or sit down at our screens in front of peers these days. We also, if we are teaching academics, have to ask students and sometimes peers to evaluate our teaching, our course materials, our knowledge of what we are teaching. We may also write funding applications for committees internal and external to the university. We apply for jobs and submit ourselves to committees of strangers for evaluation. There are many ways then in which we are made to be vulnerable, open to rejection, to criticism and judgment, to both kind and unkind feedback responses. But we are also told that at the same time as we have to make ourselves vulnerable and open in so many ways and to so many people we know and do not know, often people relatively more powerful than we are. We must be tough, impervious to being hurt and feeling sad and rejected. We need to have a thick skin and be resilient, make peace with rejection and head out again to ask for more critique, feedback and possibly more rejection. Over and over this seems to be the cycle. I ask for feedback. It's not good. The paper needs more work. The grant or the job is going to someone else. The opportunity is lost. And instead of wallowing and feeling sad and sorry for myself, I have to pick myself up, be philosophical about the whole thing, oh, academia, such is the life, and move forward as if I'm not all that bothered. 
This imperviousness makes me seem successful and strong. It may even be admired, especially if I don't share my failings or feel it, feelings openly. But I am bothered, and not just for myself. I am bothered for the casual staff for whom one bad course evaluation or loudly unhappy student can mean no more contracts. I'm bothered for the early career scholar for whom one harsh and unhelpful peer review can mean giving up on a paper that could be useful for readers in their field. I'm bothered for all the postgraduate students studying outside of their more familiar home contexts and feeling misunderstood, misheard, misrecognized by homogenous systems that reward conformity in various ways. I am bothered for non-mother tongue writers of English for whom not so subtle comments about needing to have an English speaker fix their paper may mean feeling pushed aside or put down by an institution that finds many ways to create us and them groups, insiders and outsiders. I am bothered for every academic who is asked in obvious and not so obvious ways to conform to an elusive way of being, speaking, reading, writing, dressing that somehow marks out belonging and not belonging in academia. And more and more in this cycle, it is the individuals doing this difficult emotional labor who are asked to shoulder the responsibility for responding appropriately to the system. Individuals who have relatively less power to set the rules or change the state of play. Don't cry when your supervisor is unnecessarily cutting in a meeting or in their written feedback. Crying is not appropriate. Don't talk back to peer reviewers or journal editors who use their power to break down instead of building up or helping. That's disrespectful. The unequal ways in which the system itself works thereby become normalized. And when individuals or groups break with the system to try and push back, ask for more or different or better, they are the ones who are the problem, rather than the system itself. I think this makes for a pretty unfair and biased game myself. It's become quite clear over time that academia is not a game created by everyone for everyone. It's a game that a few people created for themselves and a few select others a long time ago. And while they have over the years allowed others to join in, they have been pretty slow in sharing all the rules and sharing the field, even more so in being open to making real and meaningful changes to the rules so that the game isn't quite so uneven, opaque and frustrating for so many people to play. There are very big changes that need to be made, many of these beyond ordinary people like you and me perhaps, at the levels of funding policy and allocations, challenging biased ranking systems, creating more just policy and governance environments and practices. But there are smaller meaningful changes we can start making, us ordinary folk. One clear change is in how and how often we give feedback and to whom we offer it. I've seen several Twitter threads about grant applications that take so much time and work, and when they are rejected, have no feedback attached that can help applicants be more successful next time. Perhaps that's a starting point. Offer some feedback on unsuccessful grant and job applications on issues that can be worked on, like how the project is framed, the extent to which the criteria were and were not met, writing style and jargon use, etc. Even a few clear lines can make a big difference to the applicant and their chances and confidence on the next try. Another change is peer review and how editors manage this process. I see far too many threads on social media about unkind peer review and editors just letting the unkindness happen. As an editor myself, I know we have the agency and the knowledge to both encourage and guide better peer review and to mediate or even choose not to share poor, unhelpful, and even spiteful reviews. 
These may seem like two small changes, but they may begin to make a meaningful impact if we commit more collectively to two things, at least. The first is to commit to creating openings for new voices, new scholars, different knowledges, different bodies, rather than making efforts to diversify seem more cosmetic than truly transformative. But to do this, we need to make a second simultaneous commitment. We need to look long and hard at what we make legitimate and reward or reproduce. What knowledges, what ways of being, speaking, writing and acting, what bodies and histories, whose stories. And then we need to start thinking about how we use critique to punish some forms of vulnerability and reward others. And in so doing, continue to set up the game to favour those who already know how to play it or have the means to somehow figure it out. We continue to make vulnerability core to academic life, but this act is not rewarded for everyone who undertakes it. That's a problem we need to address together. And we can. This is not utopian thinking. I think that undertaking the kinds of work, individually and collectively, that make genuine steps towards transformed ways of being an academic and working in this space is crucial to keeping the university connected and relevant to the communities and societies it is part of, and to taking the academic project forward with and for the many rather than the few.